0: A powerful story? I'm Mary Demuth, and in this podcast, I share stories of everyday people who remind you that you're not alone as you untangle your own story. Because of the outrageous generosity of God, I believe you can experience a joyful restory moment right now. Remember, the old is gone, the new awaits. The Restory Show starts now. The Restory Show, Season 3, Episode 3. Today's podcast is brought to you by booklaunchmentor.com. If you've ever dreamed of writing and actually publishing your story, you will find all the mentoring you'll need to fulfill that book-launching dream. So today, before we get into the show, I'd like to highlight the iTunes review of the week. Today's is by someone named a discerning listener, and the discerning listener writes, Nothing inspires in the way that real-life stories do. Mary chooses real people to tell how God rewrites stories of darkness into stories of light. Each story shares deeply personal experiences of very real trials and searching for God's hand in the midst of it. Each will inspire you and make you very, very grateful. It would be so awesome if you could share about the ReStory show with your friends. You can do this by reviewing it on iTunes or Stitcher or some of the other platforms or you can just share it with a friend. That would really be great. The more uh, you review it, the more you share about it, the more audience we will reach with the life-changing message of people's stories. So also, if you'd like to be on The Restory Show, click the recording icon on marydemute.com to share your own two-minute story. Now, today I am welcoming my friend Thomas Umstadt to The Restory Show, and he has a very interesting story about courtship and dating and what he learned throughout his uh, 20s about courtship and dating. And this is his story and it inspired a blog post and it also inspired a book. And so he's one of my dearest friends and he's a great thinker and does not take things lightly. So he really works through what he thinks. So I think you're going to appreciate his story today. So without further ado, here is Thomas Umstead. Hey, everyone. It's Mary from The ReStory Show, and I'm really excited to have one of my very best friends on the podcast today. It is Thomas Umstadt, and uh, he and I have known each other, I don't even know how long, several years. We've, I think we probably met at a writer's conference, and we also are in a mastermind group, which we just happened to have a mastermind retreat last weekend. So I am well aware of all of Thomas's issues now. <laughs> just kidding. You don't have to air your dirty laundry. So Thomas, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So um, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, like how you were raised, what you did, going to college, and bring us up to speed where you are now, and then we'll get into your story.
1: Okay. So I grew up uh, homeschooled. Uh, I was homeschooled uh, from first grade through uh, high school. Uh, In the very early days of homeschooling, when we were still afraid that we'd get taken away by the police or by the mailman or the garbage truck or basically any government (laughs) official who might see you not in school might call the cops on you. And uh, so we had the curtains drawn in the early years and uh, it was quite, quite the adventure. Yeah, but it worked out and I went to University of Mary Hardin Baylor and I I graduated from there with a degree in business and uh, started a company while in school. My first business, I started not out of my dorm, but out of my college room that I was in and it survived for about 12 months. (laughs) Then I started a second business from the ashes of that first business and with the lessons learned uh, from the first business. And uh, that company uh, has pivoted a few times, but it still runs and um, it it still exists uh, all these years later. So, that's kind of the short version of of my story. Uh, God got a hold of me uh, when I was uh, four or five years old for the first time, and then kind of at various points throughout my life, it's kind of recaptured my heart. happened again when I was 11, 12. I got baptized, and again, right as I was graduating high school, I got all on fire for sharing the gospel, and uh, my crazy college years were Spent on the street passing out tracks to complete strangers. <laughs> in the uh, so that was my radical rebelliousness in college.
0: Yeah, there is a secret video out there somewhere that I have actually seen um, of Thomas in college. So I should probably put that link up.
1: <laughs> I thought you promised no dirty laundry on this show. <laughs>
0: Oh, but it's so funny. So, okay. So you were, you grew up as a homeschooled kid, but as I've gotten to know your family over the years, also, I would like to point out that it wasn't like a regime ish homeschooling uh, experience. Like it, it wasn't maybe how some people might see it. So, kind of give us a little view, a, a little snapshot of what it was like to be homeschooled and what your parents learned along the way.
1: Yeah, so a lot of people, when they think of homeschooling, they think of what they see on TV. And the kinds of families that are on TV for homeschooling are the kinds of families who are unusual enough to be interesting for TV. So a normal, boring homeschool family is not what you get to see. And uh, often, since people only see the kind of weird families, because they're the ones interesting enough for TV, you it, it's easy to get kind of a reality show view of homeschooling that all of the families are like that. And in reality, most homeschooling families are mostly normal most of the time, or at least they're no more weird than any other normal kind of family <laughs> in a public school. And so now that said, there are various like homeschool teachers that some of them have very cult followings or have had cult followings uh, in the past and um, their followers would be I guess the more unusual kind of homeschooler so uh, I don't necessarily want to name any names but some of them are very controlling and very conservative and would prescribe what kinds of foods you could eat what kinds of clothes you could wear you know what you could do for fun, what kind of music you could listen to, that was the thing that was very tightly controlled. Uh, so me listening to, I remember the first time I heard a DC Talk song, uh, I wasn't allowed to listen <laughs> to that kind of music, but I, I was at a sleepover, and a friend sang it to me, sang Jesus Freak uh, for everybody. At the, and we we're like, oh my gosh, that's the most cool song. It's so edgy <laughs> and rebellious. <laughs> um so I eventually, I uh, got my hands on a cassette tape with the uh, Jesus Freak on it, and I was like, "This is amazing!" So, yes, I'm that old. Cassette tapes were quite the rage when I was when I was young, but uh, I got older and eventually switched to MP3s. And,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm so uh, proud of you. <laughs> broad,
1: broadened my horizons. Yeah,
0: that's right. So the subject of what I know you want to talk about today is a difficult issue and you've kind of suffered through it um, both as a someone in the courtship movement and then someone outside it as an outlier, so to speak. So tell us a little bit about your story in moving from courtship to dating and kind of all the things that go along with that.
1: Yeah. So I, as a good homeschooler, believed in uh courtship, you know, I read all of the books I like guess in goodbye when God writes your love story, Boy meets girl there was a you know a whole collection of books, maybe half a dozen different books that advocated this thing called courtship, which wasn't really a thing it was a it was a bunch of not things <laughs> so, instead hmm. of being what a not to do. Yeah, of what to do. It was a bunch of rules of what not to do. And you kind of had to figure out what was left kind of in between all the rules of of what not to do. And I was a huge advocate of it. I preached it. I ran a website, Practical Courtship, that advocated for a courtship and uh, was very optimistic about this new way that would help people get married and not get divorced. And I uh, thought we would change the world. And uh, every year would go by and I would wait for my friends in the courtship movement to get married. And I would wait to get married myself and no one was getting married. And then a few people started getting married and then they, some of them got divorced right away. And we we're like, this is not the deal. The whole idea is that we go through this very difficult process. And at the end, you know, we were guaranteed a lifelong happy marriage. That's why you you know, checked all of the boxes. And um, I was like, we can fix this. And so I started the website, trying to you know, make sure that people were doing courtship in a practical way, and then I uh, had the opportunity to, to try it myself. <laughs> so uh, I was interested in a young woman in our uh, community, and I'd call her up on the phone. We would talk about school, and eventually I called her up, and I didn't have a reason. I just called her up because I wanted to talk to her, and she's like, Sorry, but uh, my dad doesn't uh, let me uh, have a guy give me special attention without talking to him first. Was the the phrase that she used, and so by calling her up without a topic, without an excuse, I was giving her special attention. So she's like, "You need to talk to my dad before we can talk more." And so I was like, "All right, you know, I believed in courtship, so called up her dad, and we scheduled a lunch meeting. And um, he gave me some homework. He wanted to bring uh, like financial statements and like my life plan and some goals (laughs) and." Oh my gosh! Are um, you serious? I'm, I'm actually serious. Um, <laughs> some sometimes the dads want to see a tax return. He thankfully didn't want to look at my tax return, but he did oh want my to. Gosh. Um, He wanted, you know, uh, and I think he may have also had me bring my resume. (laughs) So I don't remember all of the documents uh, that I had to bring. But it was I I had to prepare this like set of documents like I was uh, applying for a loan to buy a house or something. And so I, you know, I I dutifully prepared all the documents. I had a second date with the dad (laughs) to go over my documents. And he's like, all right, I give you permission to court my daughter. And there was very much an understanding that this was for the purpose of marriage because that was one of the fundamental ele- uh, elements of courtship is that it's for the purpose of marriage. Uh, so there was a big rebellion against what was thought of as casual dating, uh, which is, um, you know, in casual sex that went along with that. And so the solution was seen as making it for the purpose of marriage. Well, the challenge there, though, was that we did not know each other. <laughs> it's like <Yeah>. – yeah. <laughs> Up to this point, we've only had, you know, phone calls that were about school-related topics and the one call that was just for, you know, grins. And now we're in a relationship where I have, you know, committed to marry her to a certain degree. And Mm. I wasn't sure I wanted to marry her. I didn't know her. And as we were going, the, um, her father and her to a lesser degree were very unsettled by the fact that I wasn't sure that I wanted to marry her. But she's like, but you agreed to be in this courtship. It's for the purpose of marriage. And I'm like, but I don't know her. <laughs> and so um, what I was realizing, it didn't take, I didn't realize this at the time, but what I was experiencing was a fundamental problem with courtship as a whole. And that is that having a couple that has not spent any time with each other one-on-one and has only interacted in groups Uh, enter into a relationship for the purpose of marriage, generally that just doesn't happen because the couple's not ready to make that level of commitment without knowing each other. And when it does happen, like with what happened with me, it often doesn't end well. And so that's kind of where we get to the dark side of the story. So we started having trouble as a relationship. This was kind of on and off. And one of the things that kind of was presented is like the way to fix this is that you're just not committed enough. They're they not convinced that you're committed to the relationship. And I really did like this girl. And so I finally, I scheduled a meeting with her dad to ask for his permission to marry her. And I had been having dates with him on a, about a monthly <laughs> basis. Uh, How
0: fun. <laughs> did you go out to yeah. ice cream? <laughs>
1: Uh, we typically went out to lunch, uh, or dinner and he paid. That was when I sing. So, he, <laughs> so that's good. I didn't have to pay for those dates. He was the man in that relationship. <laughs> um, and but I, I paid for the dates with her. And, uh, so anyway, we're out to dinner and he then spends, you know, two hours telling me everything he doesn't like about me, which totally. So I'm there, you know, with my heart and my hands and he's criticizing and ridiculing every aspect of my life, uh, including, you know, the fact that my business was failing. So that business I talked about earlier, you know, the first one that failed was going through its breaking up phase. And, you know, he didn't like the fact that I wasn't, you know, financially stable, you know, despite the fact that the business was had been run debt free, and I was debt free, and you know, I still had you know cash in the bank. And you know, sometimes businesses don't work out, but I was still employed, and I had already started the next business. But anyway, um, none of that mattered. And so he, and then he, you know, criticized my character, and, and I, I think he went after my personality. And anyway, I
0: <laughs> just um, every dude,
1: aspect. Yeah, there, I didn't, and and my my denomination, he didn't like my denomination, and didn't like my translation of the Bible. And anyway, I felt oh about two goodness. inches. Inches tall uh, at the end of this and at the time it was the it was the most difficult like painful two hour conversation I've ever had but then at the end he's like but I'll ask her anyway (laughs) to to see what she says so my proposal to her ended up coming through her dad and as she explained to me later on the phone no woman wants to be proposed to by her dad and um, so anyway I got the wonderful experience of being rejected by both the girl and her dad (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for marriage, and um, yeah, it was it was really tough, and uh, I I didn't know what to do with myself because I had kind of brought bought into this version of the prosperity gospel. Uh, so, the traditional prosperity gospel says if you're a good Christian, God will bless you with health and wealth, and if you have enough faith, you know the gates of heaven will fall on you, and you'll be healthy and wealthy. And I didn't believe in that, you know, because I'm like, there's lots of heroes of the faith who go through times of poverty. You know, even Paul was poor <laughs> from time to time and he had the faith. But I had, hadn't realized, but I had bought into a different version of the prosperity gospel, which is if you're a good Christian, God will give you a happy marriage and a happy family. And... It was like a relational prosperity gospel, and if you check the boxes and you re- wear the right clothes and listen to the right music, uh, God will bless you with a happy family and The reality is is that that 's not the case um, it 's not that way god 's not a slot machine, and in fact, Jesus promises just the opposite: he says, You know do you think i 've come to bring peace i 've come to bring the sword, and you know fathers will be turned against daughters and I don't know, there's a whole list of, like, relationships that get broken up, and that's what we see. We see, you know, family members turning their other family members into the authorities to be, you know, imprisoned in that early church, and um, that is also the gospel. Now, there are, you know, biblical principles, and God does bless families, so the I've struggled with kind of then kind of overreacting, going the other side, and be like, that God is this cruel, yeah. mean person, and that's not also, that's also false and that's kind of where I'm at right now in the sense of like what I'm struggling with is that is believing that God really does love me and that you know he does give good things to his children which can be hard hard to believe sometimes you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death but he is he is with you during that time and that's what I've had to keep reminding myself it's not that we don't walk through the valley we do walk through the valley and and the valley is very dark but he is with us during that time and his Rod and his staff comfort us. And, um, yeah, so for me, the months and years after that breakup was the valley of the shadow of death, I, I um, ran away. I had an open invitation to be a missionary in Russia <laughs> with an organization I'd been working with. And so I was like, peace out, America. I'm going to Russia. <laughs> and, um I, I worked in Russia with a charity that worked with orphans for a month, and then I uh, worked in Scotland for a week and a half, building websites for some churches there. And then I went to this writer's conference in California, uh, where there was this speaker named Mary DeMuth that was doing a, a session, that, which I literally I flew to that conference from Scotland. <laughs> so, I had super Did jet lag. Did you really?
0: Oh, yeah. my gosh.
1: And uh there was a a, a night owl track that you could give at that conference, this is Mount Hermon, that anybody could submit for. And so I submitted to do a night owl on social media because that's what I'd been teaching on in Scotland and doing some in Russia. And I had standing room only in my night owl track and they invited me to come back as a speaker. So my very first time at the conference, they ended up being invited to be a speaker the next year. And that kind of helped establish my business of working with authors. And so I kind of left romance and relationships aside for a good five years <laughs> and just worked with authors, building websites and doing marketing and speaking at conferences. Because uh, once people saw I'd spoken at Mount Hermon, I got invitations to speak at other conferences around the country. And um, yeah, but, th- but you know, this whole time I hadn't really given up on courtship. I just felt that it hadn't worked for me, that I, ha- I was a bad Christian. That's why it hadn't worked out. And I started... Meeting other young men who 'd had similar stories, some who had almost the exact same story that I had, and they were just crushed they they Their whole lives had been kind of derailed. Uh, because of their experiences with courtship. And I was like, something's, something's wrong here. This seems to be a problem that is bigger than me. And a lot of people had been hesitant to share their stories. And my family is somewhat well-known in our area, so homeschooling, because we had been doing it for so long. And so a lot of people knew about my courtship. There was no hiding that. And so oh, I, I guess young men felt. Oh, yeah. So yeah, but also there was the fishbowl element <laughs> of so, uh, people even in neighboring towns we're talking about our courtship. And anyway, so that was great fun. But the benefit, I guess, of that was that young men felt that they could come and talk to me because they knew that uh, they had had similar stories. And so finally, I'm like, there's something wrong here. And I remember thinking back to when I'd first gotten those books, the, you know, the dating books, the Christian courtship dating books, I Kiss Dating Goodbye and God Writes Your Love Story. And The one group of people that were never fans of the fact that I wasn't dating in high school were my grandparents. (laughs) My grandmother kept saying, how do you know who you're going to want to marry if you don't go on dates? And and at the time, I'd been like, what does she know? She was public schooled. (laughs) But as I got older, I'm like... Maybe my you grandmother. You
0: dissed your grandma.
1: I did. Well, she She wasn't homeschooled. What did she know? Um. Yeah, the pride of youth. And so finally, I the point in my grandmother. You know, in this time, my grandfather had passed away about ten years ago, and my grandmother was going on two and three dates a week with different guys. More dates, Go grandma. Than, and so, in my community of young women, who are you know young, attractive women, you know, in their twenties. There would be maybe zero dates in a week. And at that same time, my you know 75-year-old grandmother would be on two <laughs> or three dates. And so I'm like, there's something going on here. <laughs> so I took her out to dinner and I was like, so why were you against courtship? And also I started asking her all these questions about what she did and what her generation did. Because her generation, they got married really young. She was, I think, 19, 18, 19 when she got married. And she was married you know, until my grandfather died 50 plus years later. And so, whatever they were doing was working. And whatever my parents' generation had done hadn't worked as well. And what my generation was doing just was a total disaster. It wasn't working for anyone, both on the courtship side and on the modern dating side. There was not a lot of happy relationships, there was a lot of broken hearts and a lot of um, crushed spirits. And so, she started to explain to me what I came to define as traditional dating. And she talked about how she would go on dates in middle school, which just was like, it was like, I remember asking her three different times. And she's like, well, we called it junior high back then. (laughs) She was going on dates. (laughs) She's 14 years old and she's going on dates with, you know, one Bob. And the rule was that she couldn't go on um, a date with the same guy twice in a row. So she wasn't allowed in middle school to go steady. She she couldn't have a steady bow. So if she wanted to go to, she went to ice cream with Bob on Tuesday and she wanted to go to the dance with Bob on Saturday. She'd have to go out with Bill sometime in between that time. And that just seemed so weird. So, after that first meeting with her, I just went home and I was like, that is crazy sauce. But as I started to think about it, I realized that there's actually a lot of wisdom in that because by keeping the relationship from being exclusive, the commitment was much lo- lower. And the intensity was much lower and the expectation of a physical relationship was non-existent. As she said, the guys wouldn't even want to kiss you <laughs> because they, they didn't, there was no expectation that, that they would be able to be kissed because they weren't steady. They weren't going steady. And so she went out with a lot of different guys and you know, she went out with a couple of bobs and some bills and she found the bob that she wanted to marry a guy by the name of Bob Umstadt, who is my grandfather. and. You know, they got married. <laughs> they were really young, uh, but they got married and they were very happily married. And um, the other rule that her father had for her was that she couldn't stay out too late. So don't go steady too soon and don't stay out too late. And I was like, man, this is what if we did this today? Would this work? And so I wanted to kind of experiment and try it out. But I didn't feel like I could because I was Mr. Courtship. I wasn't just the guy who'd gone <laughs> it's through the a courtship. Incognito. I, had, I was the guy who wrote the blog, Courtship in <laughs> Crisis. And so I was like, I can't in good faith, you know, experiment with this because in the courtship world, when a guy asks a girl out on a date, it's for the purpose of marriage. Because that is the rules. It's for the purpose of marriage, which means, hey, would you like to get coffee is would you like to get coffee, comma, for the purpose of marriage, which means coffee now and then marriage later and then sex after that, which is even more intense than the secular version of modern dating, which is coffee now, sex later. It's it's even more scary. And none of the girls would ever want to say yes to coffee because they're like, I don't know this guy. I don't want to be married to this guy. And the guys also didn't want to ask because they didn't know if they wanted to marry the girl. So I felt like I had to come out of the closet, so to speak, that I was no longer Mr. Courtship. And I had spent, as I, as I was talking with my grandmother, I, I started to share what I was learning with my friends and this kind of verbal blog post started to emerge. And then eventually I was like, I need to write this and kind of post it to my blog and officially state I no longer believe in courtship. And so I worked and worked on this blog post and of the, you know, young courtship minded people that were in my community a bunch of them looked it over and gave feedback and some older folks gave feedback and so I ended up having a blog post that was edited by like a dozen or more people <laughs> because uh, I wrote I it while I was at these um, events that had lots of homeschoolers at them so anyway I launched the blog post and my hope was that it would reach five or 10,000 people and I'd be able to reach my community so that I could then ask girls out on dates. So I launched it. <laughs> and on the first, I launched it at like four o'clock in the afternoon. And by the end of the day, we'd already gotten like four or 5,000 views. And then it's like, oh man, this is looking good. And then the next day, it had by like 10 in the morning, it had already gotten another 5,000 views. And then by noon, it had had another 5,000 views. And then pretty soon, it was getting 1,000 views an hour. <laughs> it would mm. just... Writing all over Facebook, and by the end of three weeks, it had been read over a million times uh, by Crazy. people in every single country except for North Korea, which I'm pretty sure blocks my blog. <laughs> 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 I also comment on you know religion and politics and things that are not popular in North Korea. Uh, but yeah, I had views in you know Iran and China. South Korea and all over Europe and all over the United States, and comments, hundreds and then thousands of comments poured in on the blog uh, from all over the world of people sharing their stories. And, uh, you know, I wrote a follow up blog post that helped clarify some things, you know, questions and answers. It was a little bit more practical, and more and more questions started pouring in. And a Catholic priest actually encouraged me to write a blog post about it or sorry, a book about it, and then another pastor in the comments recommended that I write a book on it because they were seeing similar issues. And I was just like, oh, I don't want to write a book on this. Because I'd helped this lady, Mary DeMuth, crowdfund a book uh, a year before. <laughs> uh, and You knew, I knew what that what was like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I knew it was involved. And I knew how expensive you know self-publishing a book can be. And I didn't want to go the traditional path because I felt like the iron was hot. Right? This blog post was viral right now. But if I waited two years to go through the traditional publishing process, by the time the book came out, the window would be lost, And so the other thing is I started going on dates because suddenly I was able to ask girls out on dates. (laughs) And there was, you know, as long as they'd read the blog post, it was very clear where I stood. And, uh, we were started to bring in the, uh, the old language of going steady and going on dates and that sort of thing and the difference between dating and going steady. And, uh, yeah. So eventually I I was like, okay, people, if you want a book, you're going to have to make it happen. Uh, so I put the book on Kickstarter and, the community around the blog rallied around and raised $10,000 to publish the book. And pre-ordered copies all over. And anyway, so then I went into my cave and worked on writing a book because, you know, I totally knew how to write a book <laughs> had to figure that <laughs> out. Um, it was
0: Hopefully some of those uh, writers conferences rubbed off on you a little bit. Yeah,
1: so I had an, a wonderful advantage of the fact that I had been doing marketing for writers for the last year and a half or five years. And I had lots of writer friends that were giving me advice and encouragement along the way. And so I wrote the book and it released and it got quite a bit of controversy, although not nearly as much controversy as the blog post did. The blog post was rough. I lost a lot of friends just wouldn't talk to me after that. Like the ones who didn't buy into what I was advocating for. Some of them sent me very hurtful messages. Some of them didn't send me messages at all. Some of them, some of my very close friends in college still to this day don't talk to me. (laughs) And um, people in our community there was some, there was one mom in particular who was ranting about me daily by name on Facebook and she was friends with all of my parents' friends. And so my mom was reading Facebook and just crying because they're, you know, saying this guy should have a millstone tied around his neck and just, you know, calling in to question my, my salvation and just being very mean and hurtful. And, um, there were rebuttal blog posts that popped up all over the internet. So my blog post title was, Why Courtship is Fundamentally Flawed. And this one lady did a, Why Courtship is Not Fundamentally Flawed, Part 1 of 7. <laughs> oh, jeez. <rebutted> <laughs> <laughs> it was just a whole torrent of posts rebutting me. And what was interesting was that the courtship community was so um, powerful that they were really unwilling, uh, a lot of my my allies were unwilling to poke their heads up and, and support me. So I had a lot of author friends who you know were influential in the homeschool community and they kind of quietly came to me and they're like, we agree with you, but we can't say anything because we're afraid of retaliation from the from the powers that be. And so for a long time, I was kind of standing by myself, um, you know, me and these million people who read the post and were sharing it on Facebook. <laughs> so, yes. uh, I may not have had the leaders on my side, but during that time, a lot of the leaders who opposed me were taken out of the discussion for various reasons um, mm-hmm. and there were you know some uh, scandals and some things I won't go into, but uh, one of the um, challenges with courtship is that it, it tends to encourage a very par- patriarchal system where men are in complete control and the problem with that or a problem with that is that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And so when you give someone that much power, it tends to corrupt them, especially when you're giving them that much sexual power. And so there's some, uh, as it turns out, and I didn't know this at the time, but a lot of sexual dysfunction and sexual abuse in the courtship community um, that I had no idea about. And uh, in some communities around the country, you've got these Men who are advocating courtship basically to just groom their prey to kind of keep them from getting married because it's kind of this perfect system to keep young people single because it gives them just enough hope to not abandon the system, but not enough uh, help to actually, and not enough social norms to actually get married. So anyway, I didn't have to really confront any of those people. Those people were brought low in the same season, and um, some of them anyway. And uh, so I, you know, people kind of kept attacking my my blog and I started kind of continuing blogging the book. So some of the chapters of the book I posted as or at least rough drafts of them I <laughs> posted as blog posts and worked really hard on the book coming out and found new friends <laughs> which yeah. was tough. Um fortunately my church was really supportive and um they really rallied around me. And in fact, my church hosted a launch party for the book and you know, they promoted it on Sunday morning everybody in the church was invited and we rented a dance floor and we played 1950s music and we had to dance and there was hundreds of people uh, came to the launch party which in the months since then i've had to remind myself because it's i've still been getting shot at frequently over taking a stand on this and i have to remember that i am not standing alone (laughs) and uh that there are other people who are who are standing with me and um just in the last few months, uh, Joshua Harris, uh, the guy who you could say started it all with the book, I kiss a Bye, has come out in support of my book. <laughs> um, and he's rethinking a lot of what he advocated and what was done with his book. So a lot of people don't actually remember his book. They remember all of the teaching around his book. I kiss Dating a Bye is 90% make Jesus the Lord of your life. It's very much for- pastoral perspective and he went on to be a pastor and his pastor's heart is really obvious in that book but it was weaponized by others and turned into a set of social norms of non-existent social norms and i realize that's a bit of an academic term but for communities to function social norms are critical if my community thinks that shaking hands is a way of greeting and a friendship and if your community thinks that shaking hands is what you do to insult someone we don't have a way to engage because what is meant by one thing is interpreted totally different and what courtship did is it got rid of all of the social norms with relationships and replaced them with nothing and so every church in in some cases every family had their own set of social norms and rules and you have young women who are like, unless you talk to my dad first, I'm not going out with you. And you had other young women that were like, if you talk to my dad first, I'm not going out with you. <laughs> there was yeah. no way to find that out ahead of time. <laughs> and these, you know, this whole generation was not getting married. And I was very concerned for the institution of marriage that if we have a generation that abandons the institution, it'll mean bad things for the generation and for society and for our country. So anyway, the book came out. It's, it, it didn't like, Set the world on fire in the sense of views. You know, I was thinking, man, all million people who read the blog post will read the book. And of course, that didn't happen. <laughs> um, but A lot of the leaders have been uh, reading the book because the book goes into much more detail and it explains and it's got history and a lot of the points are better argued and better to explain from scripture in some cases. And what's happened is that the word courtship is no longer used by anyone. (laughs) One thing I can say, one of my life goals as a young man was to coin a term or phrase that entered the popular vernacular. It's like if Rush Limbaugh can create the term soccer mom, I can create some term that people start using. Well, I haven't been able to do that, but I have taken a a phrase out of the vernacular. <laughs> so now, um, no one uses the word courtship, and uh, so that is is what it is. And um, yeah, it's was, it was a a difficult story, and it it's interesting because if God had told me you're going to go through this difficult relationship and you're going to be brought low, and I'm going to use it to change the world and you know bring it into this practice. I'd have said, "No, thank you." <laughs> I' would have been right. like, "Let everybody suffer. I'd rather have a happy relationship." <laughs> um, I, I wish I wish I were more noble and being like, "I will happily take this, but it was it was really painful. I mean, eight years later, it's still a very painful memory, and and God is bringing me through a similar season where I'm having to revisit a lot of those memories and a lot of those areas of woundedness, and which is it's been really difficult, It's been a difficult walk, and um, losing those friendships was tough. But, you know, good did come of it. And, you know, courtship is no longer done. And the church is slowly finding its way to uh, more practical things. I was hoping that more people would adopt traditional dating that I talk about in the book. What's happened is that people are embracing online dating instead, which also works. It's a different set of social norms, but certain online dating platforms have specific norms that are kind of Instituted, and so, so things are understood, and the confusion is less, and, and that's helping. And so I'm optimistic for the future. And uh, yeah, it's been it's been an interesting journey. And definitely, it's in progress. I'm not yet married myself. <laughs> so, uh, writing a book and a blog post that are read by your entire community on relationships uh, complicates one's dating life uh, to most yeah, You think? <laughs> Uh, I want
0: to back up a little bit and ask you how you felt before you hit publish on that first blog post. Were you afraid? Did you know what was going to happen?
1: I knew it was going to be a popular blog post compared to the other blog posts that I had written uh, in the sense that I normally got several hundred views on a blog post. (laughs) And and, and I knew it would do more than that, but I had no idea how much resonance it would have. It was a little scary. But I I would have been more scared if I had realized how bad the backlash would have been. Um, Right. Because I was like, you know, this is, you know, I'm advocating this traditional thing. It's the advice is from my grandmother. It's the same advice everyone's grandparents were giving. And what was fascinating is that in the feedback... I could almost, with knowing someone's age, I could almost guarantee, I could predict with a say eighty percent degree of certainty their response. So, baby boomers, people in their fifties and young sixties, they were very hostile to it. Uh, people in Generation X, well, they were they were some of more hostile to it. Gen Xers were often even more hostile to it. But millennials, people in their twenties who'd experienced it, were incredibly embracing. And Mm. people over 65 were incredibly embracing. (laughs) And a lot of older people who were in their 70s and 80s, and they're like, how is this controversial? This is exactly what we did. It worked just fine. (laughs) And they share their stories. And what really, what happened was the baby boomers rebelled against their parents, and they shattered those social norms. And even the Christian baby boomers rebelled against their parents. They're like, oh, my parents aren't very good Christians, so I'm not going to listen to them. And I think there was some consequences from that. Because as a society, as a culture, we had developed a certain way of getting people married, and we threw that out, and we didn't replace it with something else that worked just as well.
0: My my other question is from an, the like a twenty to twenty six year old girl, um, and I've discipled people in this in this realm, and so the the problem with with what they're finding is that they don't know what to do they're not a boy so they and a lot of them are hesitant to ask a guy out and so what is someone who's like a 20 something girl to do in this kind of wild west of dating like she doesn't want to be modern dating of promiscuity and just run from relationship to relationship but she also doesn't necessarily have the permission from the christian community to ask somebody out so what is does she just sit at home and hang out what has, how does that work
1: yeah, sitting at home hoping to fall in love with a pizza delivery guy is not a good plan. <laughs> and that much pizza eventually will make it even harder to find a husband. <laughs>
0: That's right, exactly. Um,
1: so the first thing I would do is give a copy of the book Courtship in Crisis to uh, her pastor. Because what I found is that church to church, the relational culture is either very sick and broken or it's more healthy. And I've been a part of churches where it's completely broken. And the guys aren't asking the girls out and and i was a part of one church where the guys and the girls didn't even really like each other it was just a totally broken courtship culture and by this i'm talking about kind of the abstract term courtship not the specific method and um it it's fixable it it's te- you know the singles group the young adults pastor the high school pastor with te- with good teaching on this and a kind of a set of here's how we do it in this church of so- social norms of like here's how you ask girls say yes to the first date. <laughs> uh, it's not a, an invitation to marriage. Just basic things like that. If that is communicated from the pulpit where everyone can hear it, it can make a huge stride into fixing that culture as far as that specific church goes. Um, now, if the young girl's going to a church with uh, you know very few young men, uh, one thing I would do is find a different church. Uh, my parents have the saying, uh, it's like, if you want to see a train, you need to live by a train track. <laughs> 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 Which is an old saying from some old cu- culture, I'm sure. But, uh, it's cause it would now be cars or planes or drones.
0: <laughs> drones. Yeah. If you want to see a drone, hang out in the drone zone. <laughs>
1: There's a more modern version of that metaphor, I'm sure. But, you know, your community doesn't, if it's not, if you're fishing in a pond that doesn't have any fish in it, you need to go to a different pond. And this makes people, this advice makes some people uncomfortable. They're like, no, you should just stay at your church and. You're like, well, okay, so if you're going to stay at your church, you need to have some other way of meeting people. And that may be site psyche like harmony, which is really good at kind of creating a set of social norms and a specific process and path that you go through and just making a point to be in the community of singles. So. Generally speaking, singles spend time with each other and families spend time with each other. And one of the things I've noticed in the homeschool world and in the courtship community is that you have a lot of young women who are encouraged to never leave the house. And so they don't really spend time developing marketable skills. And so they're basically stuck being nannies. And the downside of being a nanny, it can make good money, but you're in the world of couples and of married couples. And there's not a lot of single men in your orbit. And that can be um, very frustrating because you're kind of stuck with these kids and it's all of the responsibility of being a mother without any of the benefits of being a wife. (laughs) And it can be, um, it it can lead to a dark path later in the 20s and in the 30s because what happens, what I see is that these young women eventually get really desperate and they start making poor decisions um, later on. And the easiest things are to try to make a change in the in the culture of your church by just passing out copies of the book or sending people to the blog post. The problem with the blog post though is that it doesn't really lay out an alternative, and this is one kind of frustration I have uh, is that the blog post did a really good job of explaining why courtship was flawed, but it, it I didn't spend a lot of time like laying out something else, and that's what the book did. But for people who only read the blog, they haven't figured out what to do now, <laughs> and. Uh, that, that can be a bit unfortunate. Uh, so those are the first two things uh, that I'd recommend. And there, there are other things to try, but online dating tends to work. You know, it's where I think one out of three couples now that get married met online. Uh, so it's. Very, very common. And, um, meeting at work is one of the other top ones and meeting at bar and meet bars and meeting at schools and then meeting at church. Those are the top five or six, however many I just listed. And so if you, if you're not wanting to meet somebody in a bar, cause you're like, I don't want that kind of person. That's out. And if you're not in college anymore, that's out. And so you basically have church and you have work. And you have online. Those are the only three, and so you have to find one of those that are going to work, because blind dates don't really happen anymore. Again, you can't do a blind date in a courtship because courtship culture, because the date means it's for the purpose of marriage. Marriage. So <laughs> no think one wants should, to. Make, you
0: should get married. Yeah. <laughs> no on one wants to date. make
1: that. Exactly. No one wants to make that introduction, and no one wants to go on that date because it's super awkward. And um, another challenge is that since my generation didn't go on dates in high school, and this is a particular challenge for the young men, they never got good at it. They never had an opportunity to practice. And there's this idea that they'll just be ready to do it for real for marriage on their very first time out. And wooing a woman is a difficult process. It takes confidence and it takes understanding of how women are different. And it's not something that most men are born able to do or maybe any <laughs> are born able to do. And I think it's an unfair expectation to say this guy who's never been on any dates has to be as romantic as this guy I saw in a movie or this guy I read in a book. Uh, when in reality he's you know, desperately insecure and doesn't know what he's doing and doesn't know if he likes the girl or not. Uh, he thinks he does, but he's also really scared and it makes him awkward and the girl is awkward. Everyone is awkward. It's, it, it's, <laughs> it's become a very painful process. And, man, when my grandmother tells stories of her dating these guys, she does it with a twinkle in her eye. These are fond memories for her. She enjoyed that process. And I will say on behalf of millennials, that is such a foreign idea. The experience of dating and being single is like the worst. And you know, there's, if you're not careful, you get stuck in the friend zone, which is a whole concept we haven't talked about, (laughs) which is where you just hang out in groups and you're just seen as a sister, uh, like a platonic sister. And there's no way to get seen as something other than that. And it's just not fun. And it used to be fun and it can be fun. And it being fun, isn't a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with it being fun. You, You can honor God in your relationship and it be romantic and fun. <laughs> Those aren't mutually exclusive. And I think if, as we bring that fun back, it will get better. And I will say that I've seen, at least in my community in Austin, uh, the courtship community, changes have happened. And a lot more people are getting married now. I think I've shamed everyone a little bit in the fact that, you know, staying single is not a good thing. And there's no season of singleness in the Bible. You can't make that argument. You're either called to singleness or you're called to get married. And uh, if you're called to get married, then you need to get married.
0: Well, um, one of the questions I asked is what kind of advice you would give to someone in, your, in that situation, and you've answered it really well. So I'm going to end with how in the last year, so 365 days, has God restoried you or given you a new story?
1: So when I mentioned at the beginning about the valley of the shadow of death, uh, that's been the biggest thing. I've come to fear the valley of the shadow of death, and, and I wanted to avoid it. And uh, earlier this year, Right before I started all this again and the sense of relationships, I was terrified. And um, there was a sermon at my church about Psalm 23, which used to be like the world's most cliched psalm. <laughs> it was quoted all the time. And then it went away. It got replaced by other cliched verses that are quoted now. And um, I had not heard it in years. And I heard it again. It was almost like I'd heard it for the first time about, you know, Lo, through I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me, your rod and your staff they guide me uh, you lay a table before me in the presence of my enemies you anoint know, my head with oil and um you know those that idea of god being with you through the dark places in that you know right now because of things that we can't control you know one person can't change culture you know you have to have at least two to <laughs> make a relationship mm-hmm. happen it's the valley of the shadow of death out there and um at least for some people some of the time but that's no reason not to give it a go because god is with us during that place. And that's not just true with relationships. I think it's true with anything that God calls us to do. You know, often we think, oh, well, I'll go through the open doors. If the door's closed, I won't go there. And that's not what you see in the Bible. You know, God called the children of Israel to go to Canaan. And they're like, uh, but God, the doors are closed. There are giants there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's like, I don't care. I want you to take Canaan. And oh, by the way, I'm God and I'll help you take Canaan. And throughout the scriptures, the heroes of the faith are called to do scary things and to often break down closed doors. And and in one case in the New Testament, Paul, Paul doesn't go through an open door because Titus isn't with him and he doesn't have the peace to do it. it but the, what's more important than what the world says about whether the world is opening a door for you is what's God calling you to do? And if he's calling you to do something, he's going to be there with you, guiding you and correcting you. Uh, and um, that's been how my story has been I I don't know, has been restored because I have to keep getting reminded <laughs> because it's, yes. been, it's been very difficult in some ways. And, um, you know, I have to just remind myself that, that Christ is with me and he's in me.
0: I appreciate that. And I think uh, it will resonate with a lot of people, no matter what they're facing. They may not be facing singleness or courtship or, <clears throat> or courtship fails or anything like that, but we all can relate to the valley of the shadow of death and we all can relate to that bewilderment of being in it. And because it is a valley of the shadow death, we sometimes can't see God there, but His Word promises that He is there, regardless of how we feel. And so I'm grateful that you're continuing to learn that lesson. And you definitely, as I've watched you over the past couple of years, especially with this particular issue, I mean, losing your core friends— And not just losing, like it's not like they just moved out of state. I mean, they abandoned you, turned their backs on you, said mean things about you, like it was the opposite of losing. It takes its toll on a soul. And so I'm just grateful to be your friend. I'm grateful to see you kind of walking through that valley and trying to find find God in the midst of it. And I think that will help others as well
1: yeah and I do really do have appreciated your friendship for those of you listening. Mary Smith is the one person who endorsed the book. <laughs> Her blurb <laughs> is on the cover. She's willing to stand up and take those arrows <laughs> from uh the haters and uh anyway, I really appreciate that
0: and I think that too like to to end on that note, I think just. I know Thomas in a novel marketing podcast that he has, uh, he and Jim Rubart talk about this. And I, in my last podcast, the the older one I did um, talked about this too. We talked about the importance of having a mastermind group. And I know for him and for me, it's changed my life. And so um, I'll try to put some of those links into the show notes so you can learn more about the the power of that. So Thomas, thank you so much for joining us on the Restory Show today. I really appreciate your honesty and your heart.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to The ReStory Show. Do you mind if I pray for you? Lord Jesus, I pray for all those who are in relationships right now and who are broken from it, who are confused, who are frustrated, who want to hear from you about it. And so, Lord, um, we come to you as broken people needing to be put back together again. We're like Humpty Dumpty, and uh, we need to be put back together again. And I, I just lift up our relational heartache to you, mine, theirs. We surrender our our rights. We surrender what we think should happen. We surrender our expectations. And I pray that you would bring great relationships into our lives in the next couple weeks even. So, Lord, we trust you for this. In Jesus' name. If you'd like more information about today's show, head on over to marydemuth.com. Restory 3-3 and may you live a brand new story this week.